1: Welcome back. Yesterday, City of Toronto staff recommended the renaming of Dundas Street and the mayor immediately got behind that recommendation. Of course, there are two issues here. Uh, First, the reasons why this should be done and then the practicalities which involve changing tens of thousands of street signs and addresses at a cost of about six million dollars. Now, the staff report says there are at least another 60 street names in Toronto that are candidates for removal, including about 12 named after slave owners. So, uh, and we will get to your calls, but right now I'm joined by Cheryl Blackman, who is the Interim General Manager of Economic Development and Culture for the City of Toronto. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining
2: us. Good afternoon, Libby, and thank you for having me on. Well, uh, City
1: staff prepared a fairly extensive report. Give us an idea of what did you look at uh, before you came up with this recommendation?
2: So thank you for your question. When the city staff team got together to look at the preparation for this report, we considered the background and the history of Henry Dundas, whose scholars have concluded played an instrumental role in delaying the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade, causing more than a half a million more black people to be enslaved in the British Empire. We also looked at the assets, uh, city assets, named after Henry Dundas. Um, and there are some 730 street signs that need to be considered to um, the the arteries that loop into uh, Dundas Street along the highway, subways, uh, young Dundas Square. We looked at commemoration. We looked at uh, the impacts on business and residents, and the ways that we could mitigate that. So we did really provide a fulsome review of uh, more than 400 case studies of of history to, to really understand who Henry Dundas is and to be thoughtful in our approach to Contemplating this question about you know how we manage this issue um, and and move ourselves forward.
1: Okay, uh, so on on the bad side of the ledger, he he delayed the abolition of slavery in the British Empire. Now, and and here this is this is interesting to me because you know a lot of people talk about erasing history, and and I have to admit I'm usually interested in history. I never once was motivated to look up and see who Dundas was was uh, you know the person that that street that's ubiquitous basically uh was named after now he was a scottish lawyer appointed as minister and first viscount melville under the british administration of canada in the late 1700s now i you know um i've i've also seen criticism that he didn't really have that much to do with our history. And so, uh, you know, as far as you know, why did he get all this uh, real estate named after him?
2: So, I think, you know, ultimately what we what we're learning from our, re- our review of the of Henry Dundas is, you know, a, a couple of things. And first, I think the question that you asked about erasure, um you know, we we really do understand that renaming, re- removal, reinter- re- reinterpretation and and Real and revocation of a name; these steps do not necessarily erase history. Um, there are really uh, deep opportunities that exist to not only remember and celebrate and honor uh, a person in, in in public. And so we're contemplating all of those elements as we think about the next steps uh, in terms of the you know uh, story of Henry Dundas. We are aware that Henry Dundas was a very powerful man. We are aware of the relationships between uh, Simcoe you know, wanting to honor Henry Dundas and to position that, his name on the street. Um, but we, we do think that, you know, this idea of history being erased is something that we are not going to be um, encouraging. We're, we're certainly not trying to erase history through the work that we're doing. We do have uh, a desire to have conversation about the history of Henry Dundas and any other um, historic figure that is named um, with a street, but certainly we do want to make sure that we are being respectful to these ideas of really thinking about who we are deciding to remember, celebrate, and honor in public, and tying that to some of the sentiment that we're hearing, in particular from Black and Indigenous communities who are deeply affected by this history. Okay, let, let's uh just uh
1: before we wrap things up, tackle the practicality. So uh your estimate that uh more than ninety-seven thousand residents and forty five hundred businesses will be effective. It will cost uh between five and six point three million dollars. Uh we also have uh, TTC assets that will be affected. So I guess the question
2: is, is it is it worth it? Um, is it worth it? I think that's an understandable question, but certainly from the point of view of city staff, we really do understand that we've made a commitment to healing and taking action to address anti-Black racism, racism against Indigenous peoples, to combat anti-Semitism, um, to really just be present in seeking equity um, with our colleagues and and fellow Torontonians. So we make commitments through our 2017 Toronto Action Plan to Confront Anti-Black Racism, the 2010 Statement of Commitment to Aboriginal Communities. So from the point of view of living up to our city motto, diversity, our strength, we truly believe that, you know, this is a step that is inclusive and progressive and is something that we we value moving forward with.
1: Okay. Cheryl Blackman, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye for now. We are taking another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to two people who are on opposite sides of this debate. And I will also uh, take some of your calls. So uh, we'll see you on the other side of the break.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. The push to rename Dundas Street comes after a petition with nearly 14,000 signatures asked for the street to be renamed. Lahid is the man behind that campaign. He is the founder of the campaign to rename Dundas Street. And Anthony Fury is a columnist at the Toronto Sun, and he is opposed to the ideas. And I will be taking some of your calls. Andrew and Anthony, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Libby. Hi, Libby. Thanks so much for having us on today. Okay. Andrew, what made you start this campaign? Well, I mean, the, the
3: inspiration behind Rename Dundas really comes from uh, last summer's Black Lives Matter uh, protests and movement um, that uh, that really found a re-energization following the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police. Um in, in my personal life, uh, you know, I'm a practicingist uh, and a, uh, uh, an academic whose interests are operate around ideas of memory, place, community, and how we represent those things. And when I was following the protests last summer, I happened to learn, uh, whilst reading about the Edward Colston statue being thrown into the harbour in Bristol in the United Kingdom, uh, in one line of the article, it mentioned uh, a controversy around the Melville Monument uh, dedicated to Henry Dundas in Edinburgh, Scotland. Now, from my previous work, I was aware that that Henry Dundas was the same Henry Dundas for whom Dundas Street here in Toronto was named. And I thought, if Edinburgh is having that conversation, we really ought to be, too.
1: Uh- Anthony Fury, uh, you know, one question that I have about Dundas is, you know, did he deserve to get all this real estate named after him in the first in the first place? I mean, re- regardless of the bad things he was involved with.
4: Yeah, that's a very good question. And we find that with a lot of our streets and facilities that have been named, uh, particularly much longer ago. I think more recently, we have a connection, a more direct connection to the people who our places are named after. But a lot of times, it's uh, It's someone with connections back to England who goes, okay, I'm going to name this after this guy who died in 1811 and who uh, a lot of people probably didn't even know that much about here in Canada when it happened. And certainly most people don't know much about this guy right now. Uh, This is a thing that, uh, you know, you really have to go in search of a problem such as this because nobody's talking about Henry Dundas and uh, Libby, I appreciated the points you made before the break. I heard that segment, and you know, I'm the same. I'd, I'd like to consider myself fairly well versed in Canadian history, but I gotta say, I didn't know much about this guy uh, either. So all of the people on Dundas Street, all of the hardworking small business owners who're gonna have to rewrite uh, all of their menus and you know all of their signage and so forth, and all of the tourists and uh, and the foreign students and so forth who populate the Young and Dundas area. If they really don't know much about this, so I really think this is much ado about nothing. And I think we should be putting our resources and our energy towards something that uh, can bring about actually meaningful positive change.
1: Well, yeah, that's that's an interesting take. I'm sort of leaning to the other. I'm thinking it's true. I don't think anybody knew anything about this guy. I I think if anything, I probably thought Dundas was just a place name in Scotland that that you know immigrants named their their new place after. Uh, the, I think the good part is that it, it is actually uh, making people look at at the history. But y- you ask a good question. Is it is it worth all the grief? So uh, I'm going to take a couple of calls. We've got Clay and Ajax. Hi, Clay. Hi, Libby.
3: I don't think it's worth the grief. Look at the money they're going to spend that could be spent on housing for the people that need it. I mean, where are we going to stop? We should learn from our mistake. Leave Dundas there and... They could explain to the kids who he was, you know, the <laughs> notoriety. It's crazy. Like I mean, I don't know where he's at. Like I say, the Dundas. They want to change that, and there's another 60 names they're contemplating. They're they're talking about uh, the the cost to the uh, homeowners and the business and all that. And what about all the street maps that have to? Go, they're going to have to be changed. I mean, we're talking millions and millions of dollars.
1: It's it's uh, it's six million, Clay. Uh, yep. About six million, and uh, you know, on the other side of it, unfortunately, that's kind of a drop in the bucket in, in the budget of the city of Toronto. Thanks yep. for your call. Let's go to Ron in Guelph. Hi, Ron. Oh, God, Libby. Thanks for taking my call. Um, you know that previous caller was absolutely right. Um,
5: uh, I've had this conversation with my son and where does it stop? Um, let's go find some dirt on Sir George because I'm sure if we dig far enough, we'll find some dirt on him. How about Bathurst? Let's find some dirt on uh, on Bathurst. If we dig far enough back in history, Libby, we can find some dirt on just about anybody. Look at uh, McDonald. Uh, part of it is this whole thing as we've had this conversation before. I'm in favor of educate, not eradicate. Um, as said, you've got to look at the perspective. Did these people do more good than bad and weigh it against that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think in this case, it's a very different, for me anyway, uh, and thanks for your call, Ron, it's a a very different conversation than than Sir John A. MacDonald, because he was huge in the history of our country. So, but to me, like this guy, like why, I, again, like to me, like why was he there in the first place? But uh, Andrew Lougheed, what do you say to people who say, hey, it's just not worth the expense and the trouble? Well, I
3: I, I think to get back to some of the points that some of the callers had raised and uh, that Anthony had raised as well, um, it's really interesting when we talk about maybe not knowing who Henry Dundas was, what we're really talking about is the way in which monuments in, in our world work. They replicate power structures through forgetting rather than reminding, which is seems backwards, but that, that is exactly how they, they function. And, you know, when we talk about, well, where does it stop? It should give you some sort of indication of how deep, uh, you know, white supremacy runs in our urban landscape, our, or how deep colonial violence, anti-Indigenous, anti-Black racism runs in our, uh, in our urban environment. When we look and we see, hey, here are 60 names, and there are certainly more than that, I would imagine, um, connected to this. And so it should tell us there the were problem and we can't simply just say oh we leave it up and we're going to learn from it who is the we in that question um, you know the the fact of the matter is is that you know um, to leave it up really privileges a, uh, a settler uh, kind of learning experience at the at the very real um Ah, uh, pain, and uh, at the um, expense of Black and Indigenous communities, who are forced to confront uh, historical trauma on an ongoing basis uh, through something as simple as perhaps giving directions.
1: And uh, well, I, I that's, mean, that's I, so I, you know, I,
3: to I, center that in in that experience,
1: I, I would dare say that in the case of Dundas, there, there probably, a, an equal number of, of black and indigenous people who don't know who the heck this guy was. Let's take a call from Simone in Parkdale. Hi, Simone. Hi there. Yes, I'm. I, I'm really
6: incensed at this. I live just a block above Dundas, and uh, it's going to cost way too much money. And this is a. Control, this is all what comes from the leftist uh, element in City Hall, and John Tory listens to them every time they say "jumpy ass how high." This is going to cost way more money. Sixty different names, and that gentleman earlier said about the maps being changed. It's it's crazy. And first of all, the largest number of blacks in Canada in the '60s, early '60s, was in Nova Scotia. You never had that many blacks, but they're all doing this because of the multicultural um, aspect and people who have worse histories in their
1: countries than ours. Okay, uh, let's go to Marek in High Park. Hello, Marek.
7: Hi, Libby. yes, it's pleasure to be again on the, raid. Um, on the waves. Um, the, my, I came, you know, from Poland. Yep. I am now senior citizen. So I'm just thinking this is a cultural revolution now going on in Canada, and uh, for the two hundred years, probably the Dandas city of Dandas is uh, the street Dandas. so if we are going to erase two hundred years of the history, uh, people were born on, uh, on dundas or whatever everybody knows the, the the name of dandas but this is like a, but this is I'm just thinking what is going on like uh, you now in Canada. I was passing by um, yesterday on Queen Street East, and close to Roncesvalles, and there was uh, in the Virgin Mary a statue, and it was removed because last year somebody cut off the head. The Polish church on, the, on the St. Stanislav, on the, on this one close to uh, Spadina, was vandalized for two years. The, the stained Glass window is broken even to, today because somebody is doing this. So we have to just look. Black lives matter. It comes from the United States. Canada has totally different history. That's why I came, came to Canada, and this is my choice. And I now I'm white, and I've been offended, like by like, I committed some uh, sins which I I don't know about. You know, like so. It's like, what is going on?
1: Okay, like Marek, thanks for that. Um yeah uh, I I the one point that Marek made that I would agree with is that I think uh, we are in the midst of, of a big reevaluation of our history and uh you know um history is not a static thing it things are constantly reevaluated in in terms of different perspectives and they say that you know history is written by the victors but yes we we are in the midst of that uh, anthony fury i i think that certainly in terms of our audience they would be agreeing with you
4: yeah i'm really troubled by what we're seeing as this sort of return to a cultural revolution uh, we're seeing that in many respects in terms of overturning our history and quite frankly, you know, petty and tedious ways that are really looking for looking for problems and fights and battles that aren't there. I mean, we've already established nobody really knows or cares who Henry Dundas is. And you, you really have to sort of whip people in a froth to get them excited about all of this. It's, it's quite a bizarre make-work project when there are actually many other projects out there that we need to make uh, productive progress on. All these conversations about just the fact it's mainstream to say, oh, should you celebrate Canada Day? I mean... That's something that should just be on some fringe blog or, you know, a couple of yahoos on social media that no one takes seriously. And yet uh, I know it's being discussed on, on major programs. And, and, and quite frankly, I, we, we need to stop authenticating this sort of stuff. I mean, I, I, I appreciate why we're having this conversation and I thank you for having me on, but I also just think, should we rename Dundas? It, it's not even a serious question. I don't think we should be giving it attention.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, Andrew Lougheed, what do you, what do you say to him? Because again, in this particular case, uh, I I think it's fair to say that most people along Dundas Street just had no idea ab- about who this guy was. I mean, and, and my opinion would be, why did they give him that name in the first place? That doesn't seem right.
7: Well,
3: sure. I mean, just because we don't know something, you know, doesn't mean we don't have an obligation to learn. As you mentioned earlier, Libby, uh, that, you know, History is constantly reevaluated. That is the work of a historian. Uh, what they do is to reevaluate and make decisions based on new information. So now we have some new information that we maybe didn't know about Henry Dundas. And this is why we need to take uh, action and, and be responsible and accountable um, for how we are replicating systems of violence uh, and racism. In our streetscape, we're celebrating that fact. And, uh, and that, no, we're not. Anthony's, we're not doing
4: that at all. That is not what the naming of that street is doing, celebrating racism. Come on.
3: I'm sorry, Anthony, but I- indeed we are. Street names are an honor and a privilege to have a street named after you. If we're not celebrating someone by having a street named after them, what are we doing?
1: Let us take a call from Helen in Mississauga. Hello, Helen.
6: Oh, hello, Libby. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to say I'm really saddened by all of this with people wanting to change names of streets and things. it's all part of the history. Now, I was an immigrant. I came from Scotland in 1957 and I was raised in Toronto. And, you know, the thing was, it, Toronto was beautiful and it was so mixed, multicultural. And I
1: was raised with everyone, and we didn't care what you were. We didn't care anything. Uh, Helen, let me ask you something. Did you know who Henry Dundas was? Yeah. You did. Okay. No more now. Well, yeah. But, I mean, it, it,
6: even at that, the fact that back in the day, there I mean, I guess if you had money, you had at maids or,
1: or housekeepers or gardeners. Uh, Still today, been, if you have money, you can get help around the house for yes, sure. Yes. but you know,
6: I don't. I had a friend, uh, and she was black, and her mom was a maid. Um, and she loved her job. She loved the people. The people loved her. The people loved her family. And, sorry, how is that relevant to the? No, no, country? but I'm just saying. In 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 the cases where like the multiculturalism, and the names of streets, I think maybe, um,
1: you know, people were happier. Everyone now is so angry. Okay, thanks for your call. Let's go to uh, Joan in Niagara. Quickly, Joan, we're running out of time. Hi, Libby. Hi. I think with all this
2: nonsense, we should just start giving all the streets Numbers. (laughs) Numbers. <laughs> and in 50 years' time, they won't be able to complain about it. You know, they they,
1: they do that in a lot of places, and, and it's actually um, easier to find your way around when streets well, I, are on I, I a numbered grid.
2: Uh, Alberta, they do that a lot out there. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, this whole thing is so ridiculous.
1: Okay, anyway, Joan, you know, that is that is an interesting... <laughs> suggestion. And uh, before we wrap things up here, of course, one of the things that uh, the city staff report says is it has a process for renaming the streets. So uh, I don't know, Anthony, is that a sensible suggestion? Give it a number and be done?
4: Uh, well, you know, it works in Manhattan. Whenever I go there, I don't take a map. I just walk around because I know how to get there with the numbers. I will say when it comes to renaming, I, I do want to talk about more positive things here. I mean, they, when we're talking about issues with racism, I mean, and there are a lot of black Canadians who really should be celebrated uh, more so out there. And, and let's, when we're talking about new things, and new parks and new streets, by all means, I mean, let's. Let's celebrate these great people.
1: Yeah, but, you know, they're, again, like this guy has a lot of real estate and a lot of these renaming, they, there's a way, there's a Moses Nimer way named after my brother because he started City TV and the first really multicultural one. And these are tiny little spaces, you know, compared to Dundas Street, which is ginormous. Uh, so, Anthony, um, 30 seconds, what would you like to leave us with?
4: Well, I think uh, all those callers who said, look, this is a slippery slope in terms of where does it end. I mean, the Henry Dundas thing, it's, it's a real stretch because the questions about Sir John A. Macdonald and others were, were much more present and mainstream. But this one, I mean, we, we really had to reach to find this conversation. So how many more will we reach for?
1: Okay. Andrew uh, Lougheed, uh, 30 seconds.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't really think that these conversations are such a huge reach as, uh, as is presented. Um, There was already a robust discussion happening in Edinburgh at the same time and had been happening for decades, not to mention these calls to address the ways that we remember are not by any stretch of the imagination new. Uh, These are things that Black and Indigenous people have been asking for for decades. And I think, you know, we owe it at this point, uh, especially with the recent events, uh, really underscore the urgency uh, with which we need to act on this.
1: Okay, that is all the time we have. Thank you so much, Andrew Lahey and Anthony Fury. Thank uh, you. People, I couldn't get to all your calls. I have a hunch this is going to be a big topic on Free For All Friday coming up. So hold that thought. We will get back to it. And that's all the time we have for today
0: fight back with libby's nimer is produced by Zeev Hadi, with technical production by jordan chakravarti and you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio heard weekdays from noon to one now fight back with libby's nimer on zoomer radio
1: Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, time for our crack strategy panel. And today we're going to talk about women in politics. And why is that still a topic in 2021? Yesterday, Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna announced that she won't be running again. And she, unfortunately, has been the poster child for the harassment Threats and bullying that women of all political stripes suffer in this country and around the world. She addressed that, though she said it was not the reason she's leaving. Look, I called it out when I thought it was appropriate to call it out. And I think actually I did learn one lesson. I, I waited a long time because it kind of bugged me. Um, and I just decided that it wasn't okay. And I decided to say so. And what gave me what really was amazing is the outpouring from Canadians because they got recognized. It's not okay. Well, and on the positive side, if you can call anything positive related to the horrific building collapse in Miami, the mayor of Miami, Dade. Danielle Levine Cava has emerged as the lead public official who has taken charge of communicating and trying to comfort the families. And I don't think I've seen a woman in that role in North America before. And there's also been analysis that advanced the idea that women-led countries have done better through the pandemic. Let me give the numbers out again in case you have something to say about it. 416 740 Toll-free 866 740 740. And now I'd like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Souza, the former Minister of Finance for Ontario and former MPP for Mississauga South. Karen Stintz is away this week, and our guest panelist is Jane Tabor, Director of Communications to the Premier of Nova Scotia, Ian Rankin, Jane, of course, is a recovering journalist who covered politics for many years for the Globe and Mail, the Ottawa Citizen before that, and she has always had a special interest in women in politics. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. Let us begin with Jane. Hi, Jane. Uh, What did you make of uh, Catherine McKenna's announcement? Uh, I thought, first of all,
8: congratulations to her. She did a a great job, I think, on the federal stage and, and really representing are trying to tackle climate change for us, and, and kudos to her. And what I liked what she said, you know, it really resonated with, with me, Libby, about the fact that, like, it wasn't okay that, that about what happened and that she waited too long. You and I started covering the Hill in the mid-80s. Uh, <laughs> the late <back> 80s. <laughs> well, 86, I, okay. I started. I, yeah. You weren't far after me then. Um, and, you know, I would, we, there was no social media then. But even then, there were a few women, and the women that we saw there were always called out. Uh, for their their high pitched voices, for what they wore, how they looked, there was a double standard, and that double standard still exists. And one of the things that I always regretted when I was covering the, the Hill is that I didn't spend more time supporting those women in in calling out some of some of those issues. And even as a, as a female journalist, and I don't know if, you, if I'm sure it probably happened to you, that we were we were under a little bit of a, of a spotlight ourselves because we looked a little bit different. Covering Parliament Hill, and so I had trolls even back before social media. Uh, and I wish that I had been a little bit stronger in putting my foot down and saying, "Hey, this is this is just not okay. We're we're just as good as everybody else, and as you said at the very beginning, we're even better at leading."
1: Well, yeah, and uh, what I recall from that time, though, that you know. I am nobody's baby, Sheila Copps. Yes, but yes. you know what? There, there is a far cry from that to death threats where Catherine McKenna needed, she needed protection for herself and for her family. And, you know, she said, um, it's important to have diversity. It's important to have women running. But but Charles Sousa, I, I'm sure that she thought, hey, I am just... I'm not doing this anymore.
9: Um, I, I think Catherine did a fantastic job, and like too many in politics, not just women, there always are haters out there, and there are trolls, and there are there are threats. But nothing seems to be uh, as worse as it is for women. I'm thinking about C- Catherine. I'm thinking about mm-hmm. Kathleen Wynne. I'm thinking about others that I've seen that I've been exposed to, just a, a, a barrage of of, of uh, excessive and cruelty through social media.
1: Conservative women type. as well in Alberta. All,
9: all stripes. All stripes. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not... It's just all women who seem to be engaged. But to your point, there have been extraordinary women in Canada who have been true leaders amidst tragedies tra- as is happening in Miami. I mean, Hazel McCallion, mm. she became famous when the derailment happened in Mississauga. She stepped up. She spoke plainly. She stood fast. She was very direct, disciplined, and consistent in her approach. And she wasn't there to prove herself as anything more than a leader amongst and amidst the situation of the tragedy. And I think that's what stands her out among all others, because she wasn't her measure of influence wasn't just that point in time, it's over duration of time. And just like men, men and women, you know, we're not all successful. Uh, but those that are, regardless of gender, are, are there because of that, that degree of consistency. But some of the women that I've come across in politics are extraordinary. Uh, and unfortunately, I, they have had to deal with more social media bashing than i ever had to
1: you know i'm i'm really glad you brought up hazel mccallion it was obviously a very different time then and uh, you know in, in a lot of ways i think that she is celebrated for traits that might be considered masculine and again, John, I mean, it seems that in recent years and with social media, there's just been a huge escalation of this mm-hmm. to the point of it becoming dangerous for women.
5: Well, it has been. And, and you know, it was a couple of things that Jane said, and good to have Jane on the program. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the
1: things. That, even uh, though you're at number two liberals to one conservative today.
5: Well, listen, I, I, I listen. I, I can handle Charles and Jane, but it's about that <laughs> limit. I can't do any more. I think at this <laughs> Um but, no, but I think that J- Jane mentioned something that was really important which which was that today versus days uh, of of yesteryear or you know many years ago or decades ago when when social media wasn't around you know it's not to say that it was any any worse or any better back then or, or now, but I remember when I was a youth in politics, I supported Kim Campbell when she ran yeah. for uh, the leadership of the Conservative party uh and won and became the prime minister, and I remember the leadership time. You know this is back then we're talking there was no social media but even then they were criticizing um you know kim with how she dressed or how she looked and and you know things that you just wouldn't ever expect anybody to criticize a male leader or a male politician and and that was back then and now you know now under the guise of of anonymous you know people who are are tweeting and trolls and stuff that that you can sort of say things much more vicious uh, and not get, not be accountable for it, it becomes even more, uh, crazy. And, and I do, and I also want to add my congratulations to Catherine and, and the work that, that, um, uh, that she has done, uh, you know, as minister and, and, you know, I know she's not from my party, but, but I tell you that, you know, I, I applaud any, women who get into politics who uh, are strong and have to withstand all this. And I give her a lot of credit for being able to call it out as she did, because it'll be people like that that will absolutely in- encourage other women who are seeing that. It may be discouraged from politics, but they're saying, well, look, there's other women who have, who have, who have gone through this, survived it, fought back, uh, and maybe I will be w- the, the way that you know, I'll be like that and then get into politics. Because I know that every party, and, and, and I say that about my party, both federally and provincially, every party, uh, tries to do their best to encourage more women to become, because, you know, um, it, it just makes for better cabinets, makes for better caucus, makes for better discussions. And it's something that I think that it, it's it's unheard of, that, that we're seeing the kind of visceral reaction we're seeing to some, uh, the politicians, but the women in general of, of all political stripes. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, Jane, but, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are thinking about it and thinking, you know, I just don't need that.
8: Well, exactly, but Charles might might be able to answer that as well because I'm I'm working for a, a male premier, and so I see some of the stuff that comes in here now in, in our office, and we're here in Halifax across from the legislature. And I sort of think hmm, I don't know if I'd want that either. I mean, politics is a tough business; it really is. But as I said, there really is a, a double standard for for women, and it's uh, you know it's interesting if, if we even. Look back, uh, in 1993, 1994, I remember doing a documentary about women in politics. And a lot of those women were under the gun and under that, uh, that double standard. And yet they told me that they would still. Get involved in politics, even though there it was harder for them to raise money. It was harder for them to uh, to form the networks that that men can that, that, that can uh, put together to be able to support them for a nomination race, for instance. Um, even though against all of those odds, they still really liked that public service, and they would get back into it. So I thought that was really interesting. It takes a tough person to put yourself out there, yo Charles. I admire you for doing that to go out and, and get yourself elected. Uh, and so with Catherine McKenna, uh, she, she took it one step farther and really challenged uh, some of the people who were taking pot shots at her. And I can remember that she challenged rebel media. They were calling her climate change Barbie because of her you know blonde hair, and they obviously um, had issues with uh, the whole climate change and the science well, wasn't around that.
1: that. Wasn't that an MP who came up with that moniker first? Well, I,
8: I don't remember. Yeah, I, just I remember think it was. I, I, it, it could have been, and I just remember a press conference where she said, "Hey, listen, if you're going to call me call me that, you are going to discourage young girls uh, from getting into politics," and and she really took them on. And I thought, way to go! I mean, that's the kind of thing that we need to we need to hear more. It's it's too bad that she had to do that. Unfortunate, but still, um, she did it. That takes a lot of courage. And uh, I just really, really admire her for that. Uh,
1: I'd like to um, move over to the first of all, you know what, before we talk about the positive aspects and and watching other women uh, uh, emerge as the leaders in crisis, uh, the, the big political question, of course, is is Mark? Carney going to run in her riding, and is is that uh, is is he really that much of a star? Because I'm I'm kind of harking back a little <laughs> bit to Michael Ignatiev. I see similarities there somehow. Uh, Charles,
9: well, that's certainly the rumor, and we'll have to see how it all plays out. Um, I, you know, having gone through politics and. We all want to sort of take a, an easier road to get through, but nothing beats going through the challenges and overcoming those obstacles and building a team and having those networks and those loyalties and, and having soldiers around you and that uh, a camaraderie that builds to get to that point. That gets you sustained over that period of time. And I worry that, it, you know, if they're just handing it to him, I mean, he's obviously a man of some consequence and has a lot of influence already over the world stage and and in Canada. Uh, So it's a natural thing for him to do it. And they're going to have to do something quickly if there's going to be a quick election. There's a number of riding that still have to be filled. But um, I I would say, you know, to to some extent, Trudeau himself fought in a difficult riding when he came into politics. And he kind of saw the, the reasons why he had to show himself. Somewhat like some women in politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have a, a, a woman who's worked with me for the past 16 years. She's extraordinary. She was very young when she started. But I, I have seen this person become ex, as someone of great consequence. And, and the infrastructures that were not available to women is only because there haven't been enough women who have had the ability to be in business. It's not politics that's holding them back. It's women in business and women leaders who provide the infrastructure and the monies to provide for those politicians to become leaders. And uh, I see, uh, listen, I'm a very optimistic guy. I find that there are more women leaders happening in Canada, slowly, but they are happening, and I think that's going to make a bigger difference politically as well.
1: Uh, John, uh, back to Mark Carney for a second. Is, is this another case of the liberals investing too much hope, <clears throat> excuse me. In in a guy, uh, he's obviously extremely accomplished, but you know he doesn't have much of a common touch, to put it mildly. Well, and I think the, the
5: liberals have to have to be careful here because their track record track record isn't particularly good when it comes to to uh, you know raising the expectations of these star candidates. And of course, you mentioned Michael Ignatieff, who I who I know because he ran against me in the uh, <laughs> uh, in the election of two thousand and six. Uh, in Etobicoke-Lakeshore. And it was an example, and, and Charles mentioned, you know, sort of the, the, the nomination process that some of these candidates go, and, and star candidates, <clears throat> parties often want them to be Acclaimed or not have to go through the nomination process, which is, I think, quite frankly, uh, you know, uh, does a detriment to them because mm. in the case of Michael Ignatieff in my riding, just just quickly, you know, there was two or three other candidates who were very well qualified who were running for the nomination, for the Liberal Party here, uh, and then when Michael decided that he was going to run in his Obigo Lakeshore, they uh, they worked it so that he was acclaimed, and I'll tell you, it caused a huge amount of of of, of rift within the Liberal Party in the riding, uh, and of course, you know, he ended up winning the election, but. but you know, we all know that he didn't do particularly well as leader and, and he had a short political career. I think with Mark Carney, there's no question that the talent and the brains and, and, and what he brings to this. But I think that, you know, they have to be careful not to baby him so, so much as I say that politically uh, in a way that he doesn't get challenged. He doesn't get because when when he gets elected, and he may get elected in, in, a, in a safe Ottawa seat like uh, the, the one that Catherine's vacating, you know, then he gets into the rough and tumble of Parliament. Uh, that's where, you know, one tests their mettle. Uh, you know, so it's one thing to be uh, to be an academic and and to 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 be you know bank uh, governor of the Bank of Canada and the Bank of, of England, but but when you get into the House of Commons uh, and you get heckled and you get you know you can't answer your question you can't answer questions, that's where you know so going through a nomination process is something that gets people candidates. I'm kind of accustomed to that because there's that thrust and parry, there's that that interchange that, that candidates need to kind of build a bit of a tough skin so that when they're prepared to go into the into the battle of the House of Commons, so they have to be careful with respect to to that. But I'm not, I won't be surprised if Mark doesn't doesn't go in that writing. I think Catherine vacating it is another indication that this Prime Minister is ready to go to an election probably soon um, uh, for that for that to happen because obviously they wanted to get all their their ducks lined up. Uh, in a row uh for what I think might be an August September election.
1: Uh Jane, uh, um, Mark Carney. I mean, he has come under some criticism and fire as the governor of the Bank of England uh, mm-hmm. and uh, their press there is uh is not exactly kind, but Exactly. But um what do you think is is this uh I don't know is this is this another case of them you know imbuing all this hope and whatever into a star candidate? well, yeah, it's
8: possible i mean he, he you're you're absolutely right and and John's right, I mean he hasn't be tested and Charles mentioned but nomination battles and those kinds of things, and how important that is. We saw that with Jean Augustine, in fact she was she was another person from a lakeshore like Shore who was given <laughs> um a, the seat, the nomination by cretchen. Uh, back in 93 when he was trying to get more women uh, in his caucus. And as a result of not fighting her nomination battle, she was a terrific MP, but she did have trouble in her constituency. So it just goes to show that you really need those strong roots um, in your constituency to, to really to really uh, prosper as, as an MP. I mean, as, as she was a, a fabulous MP, I thought, but again, she had trouble in the constituency because she, I think, I believe she did not have to fight a nomination. One other thing about Mark Carney, it's so funny, we talk about Catherine McKenna, how wonderful he, well, she is, but I noticed that Warren Kinsella was tweeting out, we moved right to Mark Carney, we've moved on from this star woman candidate onto a star male candidate, right? Well, well so you, you, you know,
1: we are you partisan part- liberals are, are <laughs> uh, are uh lauding her you know other people are not necessarily yeah, for her we're sort of politics the point.
8: we're proving yeah. this white, like who cares about the women let's talk about the star guy who might be who might be coming along um but i, I you know way back when uh i before trudeau was was uh, the leader we were doing stories i was doing stories in the globe bureau about carney becoming going for the leadership back even then so the, he wants it he wants to get involved in politics so I bet you he goes, and he's a smart guy, and um, I think he probably could do pretty well.
1: Well, uh, we shall see, and I, again, I, I think uh, everybody is right that this signals that an, another election is close. Um, but let's get back to the other side. I mean, watching the mayor of Miami date, I think, wow, And, uh, you know, in the United States, especially with their polarization, you know, women really uh, come under fire there. We've seen the governor of Michigan. uh, Wow. Uh, You know, there was a plot to kidnap and kill her. It's just. uh, But seeing her emerge like that. um, What do you think, John?
5: Well, you know, great. I think it's good news. I mean, I, I think. What I would say, too, though, is that I've seen a lot of very strong women leaders in the U.S., in particular because of the pandemic and sort of certainly the social injustice that's been happening and since then and Black Lives Matters, a lot of big city mayors. Uh, one of the, their, their chief spokespeople have been, you know, the women mayors who have really made a name for themselves and have gone out there and, uh, and, and given out strong messages, uh, you know, be it, be it during the COVID period or be it during the, during the social injustice period or what have you. But there's been a lot of, of strong women uh, out there. And I'll, I would say even in Canada, if you look at, the times of the, of the pandemic, you've got Dr. Teresa Tam, a lot of the health officials uh, across Canada are women who have who've been out there and, and, and speaking uh, and leading the discussions and leading the uh, the, uh, the explanation of what's going on in their respective jurisdictions. Uh, and also, you know, you've mentioned uh, Hazel McCallion, but, you know, my good friend and, and our good friend, Bonnie Crombie, the mayor of Mississauga, has been a, a steadfast, you know, uh, uh, leader in, in her community and beyond uh, during the pandemic as well. So yet another example of, of really strong women who are out there uh, giving out the messages, and I think that's a really positive sign.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, there's a, a different kind of order of, of magnitude when somebody is emerging like that at such a difficult time. Um, I don't know, it just uh, s- strikes me that way. Jane. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, it it really
8: she she has really risen to the occasion. I do believe that you know women leaders, and you you referenced Libby off the top too about uh, the pandemic, uh, and there were some you know leaders like Angela Merkel in Germany where things were going well. Uh, in that first uh, those first initial uh, stages of the pandemic and we were seeing um, women the women who were running countries actually doing very well it, there's a more collaborative approach I have to say with women I mean Charles you worked for uh, Kathleen Wynne for for a while I don't I don't know if you saw that collaboration but uh, but that's what I believe that uh, that women like will, will look for all different sides of the, of the of the story and and weigh those they don't uh, jump into things as, as quickly maybe as as men may so I find that they don't complicate things. They're very practical and common sense. And I think that's why we are seeing uh, these women emerge. Uh, the Miami mayor, uh, John referenced some other mayors, Bonnie Crombie as well. So I think that's the reason for that.
1: Well, Well, it's interesting in terms of The pandemic. So uh, the leader of Taiwan is a woman and that they had just about the best response in the Mm -hmm. world. I think there are other reasons for that. Um, I think partly because they are always under threat from China and don't believe a word that comes out of there. Uh, But uh, the theories are, and I think you hit on it, Jane, that women are more likely to consult more widely and and take advice from outside their circle and also perhaps uh, are more risk averse i mean i don't know if this is a little bit too out there but uh you know are are N- don't hesitate to show traits that would be considered not masculine, like not strong, just saying, okay, we see a threat. We're going to shut it down. Like we, you know, as, uh, an abundance of caution. Uh, would you agree Charles that women are more likely to do that?
9: Uh, absolutely. I, I was a, a co-chair for women on boards for five years, mm-hmm. uh, with, with, with the only, uh, uh, issue was to try to outperform those boards. And that gender equity and the critical thinking, uh, the degree at which they brought diversity to the board, outperformed, in the end, uh, the, the results of that company. But uh, to Jane's point, um, and to what you're saying, Libby, individuals that I've worked for, Kathleen Wynn being one of them, is that they're very smart they are they they make informed decisions they do seek out support they do put people around to provide assistance and that informed decision is what makes them leaders it's what makes them strong and in in the end it's what builds trust and respect um, because the, i remember around the cabinet table uh the premier Kathleen Wynne knew those files oftentimes much better than the ministers themselves because she dug deep into the issues and I always admired that in her. Unfortunately, social media, cyberbullying, be it what it may, they've painted Kathleen Wynne as someone who was uninformed and lacked trust. And once you lose that in the public eye, you're done. And that was very difficult for Kathleen Wynn to bring back. And I know deep down there was some sincerity. She was an authentic individual who got branded. And unfortunately, part of it was because of her gender and her sexuality. And that infuriated me. And it's something that is so sinister out there in the social media that annoys me to no end, because we're all seeking heroes. We're all looking for that leader to help us through these tough times. And people like her and other women that I've come to know have degree, a great degree of influence because of their ability to, to find and seek support and become informed before they make a decision. There's some critical thinking that happens, and not all men do it. There's too much shooting from the hip. And I see today's premier oftentimes just taking a gut shot at what's happening, and and we have to be a little bit more pragmatic.
1: Okay, well, and you know what? He gets a a lot of uh, kudos and support when when he uh, takes some of those shooting from the hip because it comes across and likely is authentic. But uh, that's a whole other subject. John, we're running out of time. What would you like to leave us with?
5: Well, other than uh, I think that, you know, we could just continue sort of the, the, the good news and the good progress that this the province in Canada is making with respect to vaccines. I think that's uh, uh, a healthy uh, thing for all of us. And I think we're going to hopefully see a bit more of the lessening of the restrictions in in short order. So that's all good news for everyone.
1: Jane, last word to you.
8: Well, just about women in politics, if there are any women out there who are listening, and I'm sure there are, get involved. I mean, I'm too chicken. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I, I do encourage it, but it's, it, it's from what I've seen that that public. Are you thinking about we- it, Jane? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to Make person. an announcement
9: right here. <laughs> Are you kidding me, <laughs> Jane and Libby? You're both leaders in your own right. You guys should be yeah. proud of what you've done. <laughs> you.
8: Okay, but I just I just get out there. I mean, I just uh, I think it's, uh, it's a it's a, a great occupation and a great a
2: great career. So there you go.
1: Okay. <laughs> on that note, we wrap things up. Thank you so much, John Capobianco, Charles Souza, and Jane Tabor. Thanks, Jimmy.
9: Cheers, everyone.
1: Bye. Bye-bye. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the proposal to rename Dundas Street. Very controversial. When we return.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.